Welcome to Chamber Chats, the Halifax Chamber's new podcast where we check in with the local business community, ask government the tough questions, and find ways to save your business money. For the foreseeable future, we're focusing on COVID-19 and the economic impact we're facing, along with available resources and tales of resiliency. Coming to you from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, and I'm just going to start out. So I'm going to say uh, hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for turning it, tuning in to uh, was, what was supposed to be a podcast and is now a Zoom call uh, with, uh, with Perrin Beattie. So my name is Patrick Sullivan. I'm the President and CEO of the Halifax Chamber of Commerce, Commerce and your host for today. Uh, and uh, today's guest plays a, a very important role in Canada's economy and has in the past and, and, uh, and continues to. So the Honourable Perrin Beattie. Um, PCOC um, uh, is the President Chief Executive Officer of the 200,000 member Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Canada's largest and most representative national business association, of which the Halifax Chamber is a part. Before joining the Canadian Chamber in August 2007, Perrin held the same role at the Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters. Perrin was first elected to the House of Commons as a Progressive Conservative in 1972. And during his 21 years in Parliament, he served as minister in seven different portfolios, including Treasury Board, National Revenue, Solicitor General, uh, Defense, National Health and Welfare, Communications and External Affairs. From 95 to 99, he served as President and Chief Executive Officer of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Perrin was made an Officer of the Order of Canada for his lifetime of public service and for his devotion to the development of our nation as a community leader and corporate visionary. That's quite a mouthful, Perrin. Thank you very much for joining us uh, Joining us today. Patrick, glad to be with you, even virtually. I, I wish we could at least have a virtual lobster dinner. Yes, yes, right. absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the last visit that I, I made before the lockdown was, in fact, to, to Truro to speak to the Chamber of Commerce and then back through Halifax. And uh, it's an area I simply love. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you very much for saying that. So I'm going to jump right into some questions here, Perrin. Uh, so we have Questions. I know you've been very busy uh, working with government, uh, building sort of new uh, partnerships with government, all sorts of things. But can you tell us a little bit about the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, just to give our viewers uh, some perspective uh, and about its role nationally? Let me give you Chamber 101. Um, it, there are some 450 Chambers of Commerce and Boards of Trade who are in our membership across the country, including the Halifax Chamber of Commerce. Um, in addition to that, we have a number of corporate members who belong to us uh, directly. The majority of our members are SMEs, but uh, also most of the, the major companies in Canada also belong to us. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have a number of sectoral associations that belong to us, about a hundred or so of them. And that enables us to, to be really Main Street Canada that uh, when we go to government and make recommendations in terms of policy, uh, we're speaking on behalf of businesses of all sizes, every sector, every region of the country. And it means that we're able to provide advice to government that, that cuts across all of the boundaries and that gives them a sense of what's happening on the ground. That's great. Well, thank you. And uh, that's great. And obviously at this time, um, having that view of what's happening on the ground is so important. Uh, as government is kind of doing real-time policy making uh, rather than policy making the you know as they normally would that takes a little time. So can you tell us a little bit about the Canadian Chamber's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on on Canada? 
it started early. Uh, like you, you were in Toronto during the SARS outbreak. I was there as, as president of Canadian manufacturers and exporters, and our office was in Mississauga. And uh, it made me very sensitive to the impact of this sort of, a, of an ap epidemic and, and the need to prepare. One of the lessons that came out of SARS was the need for every institution, including every business, to have uh, a business continuity plan. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the vast majority of government institutions and very large businesses have those plans. Uh, Halifax International would, would have a business continuity plan. The banks would have them, the universities, governments and others. But the vast majority of businesses in Canada, some 98% of them are small and medium-sized businesses. And for them, they're focused on how do I keep the lights on today and, and uh, how do I ensure that, that my staff is paid and that, that I'm in business to the end of the week. And uh, the vast majority of them don't have the resources to do front-end planning for cyber terrorism or for pandemics or for natural disasters or climate change emergencies and so on. And as a result, then, it was apparent that as we saw this approaching, that the vast majority of businesses in Canada, which are SMEs, uh, didn't have uh, business continuity plans. And they need not be highly sophisticated. Uh, they were, you know, they're the sorts of questions you need to ask yourself are, um, if 20% of my employees can't come in, you know, how can I manage my business? This is in a in a crisis that's considerably less than the one right. we're dealing with. If the public transportation system isn't working, how can I manage? Are my suppliers, uh, do they have business continuity plans so I can get the supplies that I need? Do I have a line of credit at the bank that would enable me if um, if I had to shut the doors for a couple of weeks to be able to, to uh, prepare? So we went to government and we went out to our membership as well to say single highest priority uh, is to make sure that SMEs in particular have have uh, done whatever preparation that they can do for what I think all of us expected would be uh, a serious uh, epidemic, but not something with the force, the speed, and the, and the scale that we're looking at here. Uh, as it as it came ashore in Canada, then um, it was late at that point for people to say, start saying, "Well, maybe I should have a, a business continuity plan and start start planning now." Our focus uh, shifted at that point to uh, how do we get the best possible information to people? Uh, can we bring people together? And the Canadian Chamber is very similar to the Halifax Chamber. One of the, the, the key characteristics is the ability to convene, to, to bring people from a broad range of, uh, of institutions or backgrounds together to, to work together. So we thought that, that it was critical, first of all, the business community come together and share information uh, and uh, look at what common needs were, and also that we would build a bridge to government. Uh, we knew that what was what was apparent was that government was going to be simply overwhelmed by the number of decisions that it, it had to make and the number of, of businesses and institutions and people affected, and that for them to, to deal with a thousand and one different groups all separately, all looking for different things, uh, would simply be uh, unworkable. So we felt that that creating uh, a network of businesses that would bring people together, share information, uh, allow us to push information out in terms of what are the government programs, how do they work, um, what are best practices people should be following, uh, what's the experience people have, uh, what's working in some areas or 
or isn't working, uh, how can we learn from each other, that, that this was an important contribution we could make. We could then take what we were hearing, synthesize that, give it to governments so it would know how its programs were working or where there were holes or, or improvements could be made, but also that we could act as a conduit from government back to the, the business community to, to get information to them. So that's where, that, that was the genesis of the Canadian Business Resilience Network. There are the, the 450 chambers of commerce and boards of trade, over 100 business associations and others. Uh, we hold uh, weekly conference calls. Uh, we've created a, a daily newsletter that now has um, over 6,500 people receiving it every single day to give them information on, on developments over the last 24 hours. Uh, all of this is free. And uh, we are using video, we're using a whole range of other tools to be able to provide resources for business. Again, all of it, all of it free because our, our goal needs to be the survival of business and, and uh, restoring health to the, to the economy of Canada. Well, and, and I would absolutely agree with you. And I, I've certainly signed up. I signed up early. Uh, I think on the day it was announced, actually. I think I, I got my email address in there. So I'm getting That's my email on a regular basis. Uh, but, uh, and we've done much the same thing, as I mentioned to you earlier, in, uh, um, in Nova Scotia. And we've now got a pan-provincial group that includes government um, at all three levels, uh, so federal, provincial, and municipal, uh, as well as uh, a group of businesses, associations, charities, not-for-profits, and labor right across the province of Nova Scotia for just the reasons you mentioned. I mean, that's that's critical, Patrick. Uh, it, we also have a very good relationship with Canadian Federation of Labor. Right. Hassan Yosef, who is my counterpart, and he and I have been working very closely through all of this. And it's made it, again, easier when we go to government with our advocacy to be able to say business and labor are united, that, that these are the priorities that need to be, be looked at uh, so that the government doesn't have to cut all sorts of Gordian knots and mediate between competing interests. So they get one piece of advice that, that represents our best view as to what needs to be done. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you were in government for a long time. You were a minister for a long time. Have you ever seen government move at this kind of pace? Before, no, um, but still, government is straining to keep up. Yeah, uh, what the government—I'm referring here to the federal government. What the federal government has done uh, is, I think, right uh, in you know the vast majority of instances. But the question is, have they been able to act with the speed that was necessary? I, I think one of the things we're going to need to do, Patrick, after all this is over, is I believe there should be a a, a commission or independent review groups set up independent of all governments to take a look at what are the lessons that we've learned as a, as a result of this and uh, how can we put that, those lessons to work. The goal should not be how do we assign blame. Uh, there are you know, lots of forums for, for blaming people. Instead, it should be uh, the same thing as the military would do after any operation, and that's you do a post-mortem and you, you say, what, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? What can we learn from that? And uh, I think there's a, a lot that we can learn. A couple of things that, that stand out to me. Um, the first is we did have the experience with SARS. Mm -hmm. We all knew that there were going to, to be pandemics in the future. Uh, what measures did, did, did we take or did other countries take to prepare for the occurrence of a pandemic? Um, we all sat there. Uh, Patrick, you and I yeah. separately watched it on TV as in Wuhan. Uh, we saw this outbreak taking place as we saw the, the crash program by the Chinese to, 
build hospitals, whole new hospitals in 10 days. And then we saw it starting to escape China to go into South Korea, onto cruise ships, then into Northern Italy. And still there was, still there was the impression here that, that um, somehow it could be contained, that, uh, that things were all right. And this extended even into the first part of, of uh, last month. Mm -hmm. um, and what's fascinating to me uh, is that if you look at the damage being done, about 60% of the cases in, in the world today are in Western industrialized advanced countries. The United States leads the pack, Italy, Germany, uh, uh, France, uh, and, and others. Why? These are the countries that should have been the best, the best prepared. So whatever, whatever concerns we would have about Canada's preparations, we weren't unique in that, but we, but we have to be determined to learn. And uh, already there are, there are many lessons to us uh, that, that we should be drawing from this. You know, again, Halifax is uh, in many ways a military town because it's the, it's the home of the, the Navy. Uh, when I was defense minister, one of the things we focused on was the defense industrial base. Mm -hmm. How do we ensure that we have the capacity in Canada that if we were uh, in a military crisis, we could have the supplies that we need to be able to defend the country? What we learned with the outbreak of, uh, of, of pandemic protectionism, in which some 75 countries or more around the world are participating, including the United States, is that we can't count on others to have our backs right. uh, in, in supplying these, these critical supplies during a, during a pandemic. Um, so one of the, the issues that we need to look at once this is over is um, we, we have business turning on a dime. Uh, over 6,000 businesses went to the government and said, we're prepared to retool and to build personal protective equipment or, or ventilators or other sorts of equipment, hand sanitizers uh, to, to help in this fight. Do we dismantle that when it's over? Or do we, do we say to ourselves, we need to, to assure ourselves that we have a public health industrial base as well that ensures that, that we're able to meet Canadians' needs in, in time of crisis. And we should also be planning for other potential crises, uh, natural disasters, uh, cyber terrorism and others, and, and asking ourselves uh, if the experience here has been that, that we uh, can't rely upon supply chains that stretch around the world in a crisis like this, uh, what is it that we need to have here in Canada that, that, that assures that, that uh, we're self-sufficient? That was, you know, going back to continue to use a military analogy, going, going back to my time as defense minister, the reason why we put so much emphasis on rebuilding the Navy was that, that uh, we saw that the greatest threat to Canada was in the maritime approaches to Canada, where our allies didn't, uh, didn't even accept our claims to our territorial waters. We had contracted out our defense to, to other countries. And basically, when you do that, you do that on the terms on which the defense is being offered. You become a protectorate as opposed to a sovereign nation. It's, it's entirely analogous to what we're looking at here. Uh, if we allow ourselves in uh, areas which are critical to the national security of Canada, including our, our public health, to be dependent upon others, we put ourselves at risk. So, so that's one of the lessons we need to uh, to look at, to identify those sectors where we need to ensure we have a capacity here in Canada to uh, prepare for, for future crises.
Yeah. But there are many more lessons to be learned from, yeah. from this as well. Yeah, absolutely. So sector, I mean, let's get on to the business sector, I suppose. Uh, which sectors do you think are going to be most impacted by the, the impacts of COVID-19? And, and what can local chambers do to support them? Well, the starting point is SMEs. The experience in, uh, in China, Northern Italy, South Korea, uh, was, that, was that it was SMEs that were most badly hit. First, for the reason I was mentioning earlier, uh, they don't have the resources to plan well in advance, most of them. Secondly, uh, they're not well financed. They, they don't have a lot of liquidity. The average SME in, in Canada can perhaps function for three weeks without cash coming in. Uh, we're now stretching into the fifth or sixth week for most SMEs being shut down across the country without, without cash coming in. You take uh, the retailers behind you in the, on the screen, you look at the, look at the pubs in Halifax or, or look at clothing stores. Um, they have ongoing costs. Um, they have to pay their rent. Another month is coming up. Uh, they have to pay staff. They have to pay for inventory. And they don't have money coming in. So, so they're very much on the front lines. And uh, that should be a primary focus. Then, then you can look at it sectorally as well. Uh, Atlantic Canada, as in the rest of the country, tourism is a, is a critical sector. Uh, that has been and is going to be badly hit. Um, you know, ask yourself when the next time is that it's likely that, that people are going to be assembling in very large group for festivals um, or wanting to stay in, in hotels or go to conferences and conventions. Um, even in the case of the Canadian Chamber, where our uh, AGM is scheduled for the end of uh, September, uh, it is likely that we'll be converting that to a virtual AGM for a number of reasons. First, uh, I'm far from convinced that people are going to want to be in, in large groups at that time. Secondly, people have been badly hit. And the question is, this is discretionary. Do you have the money to spend to fly across the country and to put yourself up in a hotel room and to pay convention fees and so on? So the whole of the hospitality sector is, uh, is badly hit. Oil and gas. Uh, yeah. You know, it was was hurting desperately before, and uh, even more so now. Um, the airline sector, um, you know, it, it uh, you know uh, Halifax is a major hub in Canada, but the airlines themselves have lost uh, you know 95 percent of their of their traffic. They've shut down flights to the United States. They've shut down many of the flights within Canada. The flights that are flying are largely empty. And uh, as we come out of this and look at social distancing, um, it's going to pose major problems for the airlines, and it's going to pose major problems for all of the all of the, the agencies supporting the airlines. So, if you look at the uh, at the airports themselves, traffic is down dramatically. That means that airport fees are down dramatically. You look at all of the businesses associated with that. Everything from the taxis that take people there to to the restaurants um, to you know, Clearwater's uh, lobster pond. They yeah. they have it uh, at at the airport. Um, if you have social distancing uh, in restaurants and pubs, and these are businesses that that traditionally uh, aren't highly wealthy businesses, they don't have large margins. Take half the seats out of it, right? And ask yourself, you know, what is how does the business operate? 
you can see then a whole range of businesses that, that will be significantly affected. So um, we, we all talk, and I use the terminology as well, about reopening the economy or restarting the economy. Now, I think a more appropriate term may have to be rebuilding the economy, right. reconstruction, in that, that we, we, we're talking today as if it's a matter of putting a key into your car and turning the switch and, and the engine starts up. We've lost several cylinders in that engine. And we have a rebuilding job to do to uh, ensure that it, that the economic engine of Canada functions well. Right, absolutely. Well, government has been, I mean, they, they announced weeks ago now, if we can remember that far back, you know, a 10% wage subsidy, which moved then to a 75% wage subsidy, uh, although the 10% wage subsidy still exists. Um, I mean, there's been so many uh, offers of support um, and, uh, and iterations, I think, of those offers of support. Um, that uh, that government has provided, which is which is great and very very well needed. I will I will add. Uh, but but do you think there's still some missing things? What's what's missing from your perspective and from the Canadian Chamber's perspective? We have the the, the general architecture there now in terms of the wage subsidy program, which is the single greatest the single most important element. There are also loan programs, including a forgivable loan for many businesses. There there are cracks where. Certain types of businesses uh, aren't covered. Uh, the government's goal wasn't to exclude businesses, but but these, you know, literally were were designing the the airplanes were flying in it in this mm-hmm. instance. And uh, so they're they're they have revised the program on a couple of occasions to try to to make it broader and, and more inclusive. And there are other tweaks that that should take place. At, at this point, uh, our focus is not is not so much the design of the program that it is the execution. Right. Uh, the simple fact is, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that, that SMEs may, may have three weeks that they can function without cash coming in. Uh, we're into the fifth or sixth week. Uh, the question is how much longer will it be before that money actually ends up in the hands of the businesses that need it? Money that comes too late amounts to, amounts to nothing if, the, if you're out of business. So our focus has been to work with the government that's designing at this point the mechanism to, to deliver the, uh, the cash to say, this is urgent and we, we need to, to get this out just as rapidly as possible. Right. Um, so we're continuing to work with the government. The money is coming, but, but sadly for tens of thousands of businesses across the country, it's going to be too late. Not because the government wanted to make it too late, but because uh, because of the challenge that, that that government has because of its size in being able to keep up uh, with the urgency, and, and that's another that's another lesson Patrick uh, learned here. And um, what's been striking to me as somebody who's who's been involved working in government and in the private sector is the private sector has turned on a dime because they've had to. So you've had businesses retooling to. Uh, to provide equipment for the pandemic, you know, where you get car parts manufacturers who are who are uh, supplying ventilators, uh, right. or where you have Canada Goose uh, offering masks. Yeah, that's not their ordinary business. Or breweries offering hand sanitizer. Um, this, uh, you know, it's it's remarkable how quickly they've they've changed. Also striking is the number of, of businesses that that have revised their business models, have gone online or have looked at other delivery systems to, uh, to operate. Uh, government 
government does the right thing, but it's the difference between driving a sports car and driving a truck. Um, and um, one of the lessons I think that we should take out of this is we shouldn't go back, government shouldn't go back to the old way of doing business. Yes. Uh, what, we've, what they've had to do is strip back a lot of the, the, a lot of the bureaucracy and process that there is to be able to respond to this, a lot of the regulation. Uh, we shouldn't, once this is over, say, well, we've dodged the bullet. Now let's go back to having government and focusing on how to prevent people from doing things. But the focus needs to be, how do we encourage entrepreneurialism? How do we encourage innovation in Canada? How do we improve our competitiveness? Uh, how do we increase our speed to market with the various things that we're doing? And that's where the Canadian Chamber is looking at this and the, at the whole crisis in, in three ways. The first is the, the management of the day-to-day -day issues. How do we ensure there's a lifeline there to keep business functioning? The second is looking at uh, when and how can we begin to reopen. The, the health considerations take first place. Uh, if it's not healthy, the economy will not restart. Uh, but there will come a time when, when uh, public health authorities believe it's time to start. We can speed that up if we've been doing thinking now about what are the protocols? What can we do in business to ensure that our customers, our employees, the general public uh, are safe as we reopen our businesses. We need to work with government on that so we can reopen more rapidly. Then the third element is, is what should be the agenda after we have some element of normalcy in the economy and it's starting to function again. My argument would be that it's not business as usual. Uh, we've got to focus, uh, you know, we're going to come out of this with a, with a massive fiscal headache with hundreds of billions of dollars of, uh, of new debt. And uh, as, a, as a consequence here, uh, the old agenda just doesn't apply. Um, all of the economists are saying, this is not a so-called V-shaped recovery, that it plunged and then it springs back out. They're saying we're, we're looking at something that plunged very rapidly, and then at, at best is going to be U-shaped. So. Uh, significant loss of GDP this year, recovering uh, the majority of that next year. But at the end of 2021, most economists say that Canada will not be where it was at the beginning of January this year. Wow. And, and, and then we were looking at, at growth that was less than 2%, where uh, we weren't attracting the investment to Canada that we need to have, and where we... Uh, we're slipping further and further behind our, our competitors in terms of our, our competitiveness as a, as a country. So our goal shouldn't be to go back to where we were. You know, all of us wish this hadn't happened. But the goal shouldn't be to go back to where we were in, at the beginning of March. It's to go where we need to be in terms of competitiveness. And I promise you that our international competitors are looking at how can they improve their share of the GDP coming out of this. How can they be more efficient? Uh, how can they uh, uh, be more competitive? Unless Canada is focused on exactly the same agenda, uh, we risk falling further behind. And we also should note that other countries, uh, because the pandemic hit there earlier and because other countries have been more successful at managing uh, the pandemic, South Korea being a case in point, or Taiwan, um, Israel would be another. Um, 
they are reopening more rapidly and they are filling the void as the global economy starts to come back. So uh, Canada, as we restart, is going to be playing catch up. We need to be intensely focused on, uh, on a new agenda of, uh, of economic growth and, and opportunity. We have gone from, you know, when, I, when you and I last spoke, Patrick, the, the issue was where can Canadian business find the people that they need? Right. Uh, record unemployment. Uh, you looked around in Halifax and saw the incredible burst of economic activity that, that we had seen there in recent years. We've gone from that in the space of six weeks to, to having uh, massive unemployment in this country with many businesses closing that people won't be able to go back to. Um, we need to be very focused on, on uh, how we, we create economic opportunity again. Yeah, absolutely. What can, what can local chambers, what can local businesses do? I mean, we're, you know, we are now talking in Nova Scotia about reopening. Um, do you have any suggestions for some of those local businesses or local chamber? I mean, we're a business, I suppose, but yeah. what can we do as a chamber to support those folks um, as they start to reopen? Um, and, and maybe uh, given your experience again, I, and I know I've heard you speak about this before, how can we continue that positive relationship that we've all developed with government, I suppose, over the last six or eight weeks um, and, and ensure that that relationship continues to, to help to build the business community as we come out of this? Well, in many ways, that, that last question was the most important one because, you know, we're all shell-shocked as a result of what we've gone through. And it has been horrible and it continues to be horrible. And the temptation is to focus on, on our misery. Right. Uh, instead, we should be saying, are there things that we can, that lessons that we can draw from this that will make things better? One of them is the collaboration. We've all built partnerships throughout all this out of necessity that we should ensure uh, continue. And that includes the relationship with, with, with government uh, and, and the relationship with labor, the relationship with other business associations and the like. Um, and that's key. Uh, as we look at public policy, uh, we've seen our society digitize uh, in a dramatic way. Um, we shouldn't be looking at rolling that back and going back to, to some previous uh, way of doing things. You should be saying, how do we move that ahead? So you look at something like telemedicine and the advantage that it can bring, or you you look at, at the fact that uh, the fact that businesses have so successfully moved to remote working means that for seniors, for people in remote areas and rural areas, for for uh, people with disabilities, that we can look at new structures of, of operations and businesses to to give opportunity to people who were were left out before. Um, so. So the chambers can play a key role in terms of looking at um, are, there, are there good things that we can bring out of this? In the short term, the most important thing that chambers can do is to, to hug their members virtually. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people are hurting and they need to know that they've got institutions like the local chambers of commerce to help them to share information, to advocate on their behalf, to serve as a bridge to, uh, to government. And, uh, as a result, our local chambers are more important than, than ever before. In the good times, maybe you can manage without your chamber. In the bad times, the, the chamber becomes indispensable. So uh, you can play a, a key role in that, in, in, uh, in my view, sharing best practices, bringing people together, using that convening power that, yeah. that uh, the Chamber of Commerce has. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're now getting, uh, we're sending out so many emails. 
to so many folks, whether they're members or not, uh, just to keep them informed. And we're getting such kudos from those people saying it's so important to get clear information. And we're gathering some of that from the Business Resilience Network. But you know how to get clear information because there's so much information out there. So just providing that that correct information in a timely way is so important to help people get that leg back up as they move forward. And, and, and Patrick, your board will be asking the same question of you as mine asked of me, and that's, uh, you know, what is your strategy for for moving ahead as a result of this? And my answer is very simple: we'll do well if we deserve to do well. Um, it's crises are a test of character. Absolutely. And if we demonstrate a, a generosity in dealing with people who, who are not members of, of our organizations, who may historically have been looked at as being in, in competing organizations, yeah. uh, if we act with generosity and, and put the public interest and the members' interest first, uh, I think we can do, do well coming out of here. All of us are going to be feeling the pain. Yeah. Um, you know, when our members hurt, we hurt. We hurt too. Um, but but if you look at, if you're looking at strategy, in my view, the, the the best strategy in a crisis like this is to is to do the right thing, yeah. and uh, and then people can make their own judgment as to as to where you were. And and, and my feeling is that people will say, uh, when we needed you most, you were here. Yeah. Um, we stand with you now. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, absolutely agree. Well, I think at that at this point, Perrin, I think we'll we'll end our conversation. I could keep talking for hours, uh, but uh, you know we we want people to be able to listen to this and then move on to something else uh, uh, and keep their workday going. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you very much, uh, Patrick. Thank you. Thanks for all the great work the Halifax Chamber does. So you are our eyes and ears in the ground as well, and the help that you give us in terms of letting us know what's happening in the Halifax region and in terms of of bringing information from us to, to your members is absolutely key. We're very grateful for that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And we'll end it today. Thank you very much, everybody. Tune in next time at halifaxchamber.com slash podcast. The Halifax Chamber is in your corner.